We're doing a series, and I hear Mark was absolutely outstanding last week. What a privilege to have somebody of uh, Mark, um, Mark Connor's calibre uh, with us last week. And uh, he introduced to us this series called Jesus uh, the Human, and that's what we're going to be looking at um, uh, this morning. I want to begin with a, with a true story of a man by the name of Father Damien, who was a Roman Catholic priest and a member of a, a Catholic missionary um, movement called the Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary. And in 1873, uh, this man here, which we can uh, see on our left, um, felt called to be a missionary in Hawaii. I, would, I felt the call to be a missionary in Hawaii myself. Sounds very, very exotic, and uh, I would love the voice of God to come to me and say, hey, Steve, take me on the shoulder, <laughs> off to Hawaii. But um, it's not quite as exotic as it sounds, because um, Father Damien felt drawn to one of the Hawaiian islands called Molokai. And on the island of Molokai, he felt specifically drawn to a small, isolated village called Kalawao. And Kalawea wasn't where you would go and lie on the beach and sip a pina colada. Uh, it was quarantined from the rest of the island because it was a leper colony. And it was a place that people um, from the Hawaiian Islands were sent to die when they contracted leprosy. And so when Father Damien um, heard about these people, he was so, so moved by their plight that he packed up uh, his belongings he left the comfort of Belgium and made Kalawao his home. And so Father Damien um, cared for the residents of Kalawao by uh, loving and serving them. He helped uh, build a reservoir and houses and roads and a hospital and a church. He also formed uh, bands and choirs so the lepers could experience joy and a, and a social life. And he cared for their medical needs by tending to their uh, leprous ulcers. And he supported them by, uh, by hand, making their coffins and digging their graves so that they could have a respectful funeral when they died. Sounds like a great life, doesn't it? It was amazing. And over time, the village of Kalawea was transformed from a place where people went to die to becoming a place where people lived. And at no time did uh, Father Damien ever separate himself uh, from the lepers of Kalawea. Um, he lived and he worked alongside them. He ate at the same table and he ate from the same dishes as they did. One Sunday morning, uh, Father Damien stood up at church to address his congregation, and he began his sermon with these words. We lepers need God. You see, the night before, he realized that he himself had contracted leprosy when he scalded his arm with some boiling water, and he felt no pain. And that's a photograph of Father Damien on the end there um, after he contracted uh, leprosy. And so from that moment on, um, Father Damien wasn't uh, just working and living alongside the lepers and serving and meeting their needs, but he had become 
one of them. He was literally now in their skin. He too had become a leper, and now he was just like them. He got to experience life as they did. And it doesn't take much of an imagination to see that the story of Father Damien reflects the story of the incarnation, the the Christmas story, the time of year uh, when we remember and celebrate the God who in the person of Jesus Christ left the comfort and the glory of heaven and not only came to live amongst us and serve us, but the God who stepped into our skin. Christmas is when we remember the God who didn't just come to be God with us, Emmanuel, but the one who became one of us. There was a, um, a false teaching that arose in the church after um, the resurrection of Jesus, and it was called Docetism. And Docetism was a concept developed by uh, the Greek philosopher Plato. And according to Plato, matter, that is, anything that's related to the physical world, uh, was bad. So things like the human body were considered corrupt and evil. And it was impossible from Plato's uh, perspective that something good um, and spiritual and holy like God would ever become something bad and unspiritual and unholy like God. A human being. And the word uh, docetism means seems like. Seems like. And Christian teachers who had come under um, uh, the influence of Plato argued that Jesus only seemed to be human. They said Jesus' body was was an illusion. He just appeared to be human, but he wasn't really. And they taught that Christ's body was a, a phantom, like a, like a hologram. And, um, or Jesus was made of some kind of um, heavenly substance. But it was impossible from their perspective that, that Jesus could possibly have the same flesh and blood as we do. And to those who followed um, Plato's teaching, um, it was impossible for them to see how Christ could be anything like us. And so one of the reasons that the New Testament writers such as John and Paul, for example, wrote their letters was to combat this emerging teaching that was seeking to deny the human side of Christ. And so John in his uh, uh, first epistle writes, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. And then Paul, in Philippians 2, verses 6 and 8, he writes, Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. 
And so this is part of the reason why we have some of the New Testament scriptures was actually addressing a real-life problem or teaching that was trying to uh, take root within early Christendom. What also happened uh, was to combat uh, docetism, the early church developed um, what's called the Nicene Creed. It was initially written in 325 AD. And um, um, these and other creeds were, helped Christians understand some of the, the teachings that were uh, contained in the Bible. And I thought it would be good because um, not, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cater to our, our, our wonderful Anglican uh, brothers and sisters who are here amongst us. And I thought it would be really nice for us to say part of, not all of, but part of the Nicene Creed together. Maybe as we could stand and we could say this. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. Beautiful. You can sit down now. You can see how in that part of the creed we see not only an affirmation of the divinity, the divine part of of, of Christ, but also of the humanity of Christ. And so the early church was finding pretty hard to maintain the truth that Jesus was not only 100% God, but also 100% human. And because they fought so hard and, and they won the battle, we get to sing our Christmas carols today like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Now, if I was Mike, I would, I would sing this, so I just... Not in the mood for it right now. But those wonderful words, are veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. We can't even begin to understand how Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, could take on humanity. It's it's a mystery. And we just have to sit with it and marvel at it and embrace this incredible truth that Jesus was somehow, at one and the same time, 100% God and 100% human. While we can't understand how that came about, I believe that it's vitally important that we understand why the humanity of Jesus is so incredibly important. And I want to draw our attention this morning to a couple of verses in the, in the book of Hebrews that explain why Jesus took on our humanity. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 says, It was necessary for Jesus to be made in every respect like us. In every respect like us. In the message translation, it says, Jesus entered into every detail of human life. Or the NIV version says that Jesus was fully human in every way. 
Why? So that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Since he himself has experienced suffering and testing. The word there, testing, is the word temptation. Because he has experienced suffering and temptation, he is able to help us when we are being tested. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, 14 to 16, it says, Jesus, the Son of God, understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help, to help us when we need it most. Like Father Damien, um, Jesus has been in our skin and so he understands us. Jesus can identify with us because our human experience is familiar to him. He can empathize and sympathize with us because he's been touched by the same stuff that we face. Nothing that you encounter in your life is alien to Christ. And he knows the joys and the lows of what it means to be a human being. Jesus knows what it's like to be conceived out of wedlock and the stigma of illegitimacy that was uh, pretty strong within his society. Now, you don't have to be born outside of, of, of marriage to experience illegitimacy. The word illegitimate means outside of accepted standards or laws. Outside of accepted standards or laws. You know what? I, I've lived my life feeling illegitimate. <laughs> I didn't fit in because of certain um, stuff that was in my life as a teenager. I didn't fit the normal stand. Then I become a Christian. And I think, oh, well, now I can. And I've just realized that I'm left of center and I don't conform to the standards and the laws and the rules and regulations that, that the church world wants to put upon us. And many of you feel that sense of illegitimacy, that you don't conform, you don't fit. You kind of think, why am I so different? Hey, Jesus knows. He understands. He gets that. He knows what it's like to be a refugee, to be part of a family that has to flee their homeland because of the threat posed to their safety. And can I just press the pause button and say what happened this week in Australia was an absolute tragedy. An absolute tragedy that we belong to a nation that refuses medical help to the most needy people in our society. Press. Let's move on. My MP will be getting an email from me this week. You might not be a refugee that's had to um, flee uh, your homeland because of risk, but you might be a refugee in the sense that you've been made redundant and you've been forced to leave the security of your job. And what that feels like to have a loss of income. And uh, you know what it's like to be a refugee. 
See, Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry and without the basics of life. He knows what it's like to be single and go through life alone without the intimacy of a spouse. He knows what it's like to be tired and worn out by the demands of people. He knows what it's like to be frustrated when people fail to live up to your expectations. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood and misrepresented. He knows what it's like to be lied to and lied about. He knows what it's like to grieve and lose someone you love. He knows what it's like to be abandoned and rejected by your friends. All of you people that have been defriended by somebody on Facebook, Jesus knows what it's like. Uh, He knows what it's like to be bullied and beaten up. He knows what it's like to be publicly humiliated. He knows what it's like to experience pain. And ultimately, he knows what it's like to experience death. And because of his humanity, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. He knows the pull of our human nature towards temptation because he experienced the pull himself. You know, if we were to condense temptation to the seven deadly sins, the Anglicans really love me this morning. We not only <laughs> dealt with the Nicene Creed, but we're talking about the seven deadly sins. Who, can rem- who who's remembered the seven deadly sins? Come on, let's go through them. Okay, let's get the, the first one out of the way. We all know lust, okay? We're all familiar with that, okay? Greed. Sloth, yeah, thank you. Gluttony. Oh, sorry, what was that? No, not jealousy. Oh, en- envy, envy. That's five. We've got two more to go. Pride and greed. We've said greed, have we? What are the other ones? Greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. Wrath and sloth. If we just look at those seven deadly sins, Jesus faced every one of those. Not just on a one-off basis, but he knows what temptation is like. And he responded to pride with humility, to greed with generosity, to lust with chastity, to envy with gratitude, to gluttony with temperance, to wrath with patience, and to sloth with diligence. See, the humanity of Jesus reminds us that God did not remain in a bubble and aloof and distant from us. No matter the nature of our testings and temptations, Jesus has been tempted, tempted just like we are. He's experienced the weakness of human nature, so he understands. He empathizes. He's been there himself. He knows what it's like. Like Father Damien, he's lived in our skin. Now, Louise um, is by nature a problem solver. And um, she loves solving problems. That's why she married me. She felt like she had uh, the gift that keeps on giving, you know. (laughs) And when we were first married... um, I kind of would sit and chat, and I would tell her something that I was struggling with, and she'd automatically go into problem-solving mode. And one day, I had to say to her, just stop, can you just stop? And I said to her, please stop trying to fix me. I just want you to understand what it is that I'm going through first, and then solve my problem. 
Does anybody else kind of feel like it's important first to be understood before you're, you're fixed? And you need to know that before Jesus ever goes about trying to fix us and solve our problems, you need to know that he first gets you. He understands us. And in understanding us, he's not harsh or judgmental, but in those scriptures in Hebrews, he's actually merciful. It says it was necessary for Jesus to be made in every respect like us so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. And then the other uh, Hebrews 4 scripture says, Jesus, the Son of God, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we, we do. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. He gets you. You understand? And, and, and he has a posture of mercy towards you. It's okay for you to be you with the mess of your life without trying to fix you up. Isn't that good news? Um, I, I read the Guardian uh, uh, newspaper and they have a regu regular section called the Q&A and um, they ask famous people for a, a, a list of questions and one of the questions that they regularly ask is, what is the trait that you most deplore in others? And all various kinds of responses. And I believe if Jesus was asked to fill in one of these Q&A um, um, uh, uh, things... In response to that question, what is the trait you most deplore in others? I think if Jesus were to answer that, I suspect he would say, the trait that I deplore most in others is a lack of mercy. When people are harsh and judgmental, somehow I just kind of think that breaks the heart of God because it's so unlike what God is like. Why is the humanity of Jesus so important? Not just because he understands us and gets us, but also because he can help us. It says there in Hebrews 2, uh, 17, since Jesus himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. He doesn't just understand us, but he can help us. And then in Hebrews 4, it says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You know, if you've been around for a little while, you will have learned this lesson. And it's this. Not everyone you go to for help is able to help you. Not everyone you go to for help is able to help you. So if you came to me, for example, and you were hungry, and you know what? I can help you. I could feed you a really nice meal. I would, in fact, nothing would please me more than be a, being able to sit down and cook you a nice meal and, 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 and serve up something that's really good. Um, if you needed a letter writing or a document drafting, I'm your guy. You can come and see me. I can help you there. But if you came to me and you needed help with your finances, don't come and see me. I can spend money. Very, very, very good. 
but I can't do all of the adding up and the arithmetic and all that sort of stuff. Louise is your girl. She's the one to go to if you have financial challenges. She can budget and work out all of the money things for you. I've gone to her in the past and said, hey, babe, would you give me a job? I'm just happy to just do you know, data input and I can do just basic booking. And she looks at me and she rolls her eyes. <laughs> I'm not the person to go to for help when it comes to finances. If you want to get fit and healthy, Sally's your person. You wouldn't come and see me. She can put you on a fitness uh, routine and she can get you uh, looking really good. Or if you wanted uh, your home kind of decorated really well, you'd go and see someone like Victoria, who's an interior designer. And she's got an eye that many of us don't have. And so she would, she's the person to go to for help. But not everyone you go to for help is able to help. But this is what differentiates, differentiates Jesus from everybody else. Jesus can help us. Whatever problem you're facing, he's faced it first. He's been in your skin. He gets you. Yet he offers more than empathy and sympathy and understanding. He came through every temptation, every difficulty, every challenge that is familiar to us. And yet he was without sin. So that whatever issue it is that we face, he can provide us with the help we need to make it through. I just want to finish with one last radical thought. Just as um, Father Damien stood up in front of his congregation and began his sermon with the words, we lepers need God. I want to propose to you that the humanity of Jesus would lead him to say to us, We humans need God. Deep and rich, but I think it's incredibly true that Jesus himself, though he were God, was also a human being just like us. And he would stand before you today and he would say, if he was in his humanity, we humans need God. Amen. Loving God, we just want to thank you for the example of Jesus who understands us, who gets us, who is there to help us, and who is a living example of what it is to lean on you in those times of trouble and need. So we do that this morning, God. We confess, along with Jesus, that we humans need you, Lord God. Amen. Amen. Blessings.